Welcome back to another episode of the Red Reporter Podcast. Uh, we are recording on July 1st, uh, and Jesse Winker just hit a home run. How about that? So good good, good timing, guys. Wait, your, uh, uh, your feed is, is past mine. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, man. Spoiler well, alert. Well, well, guess what? <laughs> You've got some good good fun to watch. That was, a, that was a vintage oppo home run. That, that had some that had some photo uh, to it right there. It looked like the old right field pop-up, but or left field pop up, but it cleared it. So um, anyway, so we're, we're midway through this, uh, this Reds and uh, uh, Brewers game, the series opener, the second series of this nine game homestand as we uh, uh, watch the Reds head into the all-star break and a pretty pivotal stretch of games. Um, they just took two out of three off the Chicago Cubs over the weekend, which I believe is the third straight series victory they've gotten over those first place Cubs who are tied with these Milwaukee Brewers. Um, I mean, the Reds are playing four games in a row against the Brewers and are four games back in the loss column. And, and for the fact that the, the last place team in the National League Central is tied or that close to being tied with the current tied for division lead team. Um, this shows you how tight and compact this particular National League Central is right now. So uh, talking about that and more, we got a couple of uh, old old veteran uh, Red reporters with us tonight. Uh, back in Cincinnati, we got BK. Brandon, uh, what's going on, buddy? Not much, Wick. Uh, how are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm better than I was before Jesse Winker hit that home run because it looked like another one of the – Another one of those games where the Reds' offense was just going to kind of sputter around, which they've unfortunately done a couple times here and there over the last uh, week, week and a half. But uh, otherwise, they've been playing some pretty good baseball, which has been fun to watch because uh, yeah. normally this time of year, the last few years, they've uh, been so far out of the race that we're talking about trade deadline stuff and next year. So um, also joining us from Indianapolis, so we've got uh, Derek Grimes. Grimey, what's going on, buddy? Hey man, I'm just hanging out, uh, enjoying some beautiful weather. Uh, it's finally hot. Like this is going to be old in a couple of weeks, but it beats the hell out of it raining for 40 days and 40 nights. So yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. drying out and getting some hot sun. I got burnt to a crisp over the weekend, and it was kind of nice because it's been a long time coming, man. So, um, but yeah, so the, the the weather's heating up. We're hitting the the uh, the part of summer where the baseball races get interesting because we got exactly 81 games under the Reds' belt so far this year. They're halfway through the season, and they've got a pretty vital. Uh, homestand against some good baseball teams uh, right before the All-Star break. And, uh, you know, they've got, counting tonight's game, they've got 25 games between now and July 31st, which is the, the, the one true trade deadline this season since they got rid of the waiver trade, line, trade deadline period of August. Um, and the Reds have 17 of the next 25 games against NL Central opponents in this super, super tightly packed division. So, um, you know, fresh off beating the Cubs two out of three and facing this Brewers team tonight, uh, they're in a, a stretch of games that uh, are about as vital as we've seen them have to f- play at any point of the season for the last five years. And it's going to be interesting to see how they respond to that challenge, especially with the light that they just got um 
uh, Scooter Jeanette back from injury after having missed basically the first 75 games of the season. So um, I guess, BK, if you want to go ahead and break down where the Reds are in the midst of this season and, and just how big and how vital uh, these games are and what you can expect from this team based on what you've seen for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and you, I, I think the, the point you brought up is a good one where, you know, with how much of the Reds' upcoming games are against fellow NL Central teams, you know, they're only five and a half games back uh, going into tonight's game. So there's a lot of opportunity to make up some ground here. You know, uh, the uh, luckily for the Reds, the NL Central has been – pretty wide open at this point. Um, you know, basically, uh, every other division in baseball, uh, you know, the second place team is over five and a half games or more, uh, away from first place. And that's, and in the, except for the NL central where the last place team is five and a half games, uh, back from, uh, the top of the division. So, you know, it's the Reds are, are definitely lucky in that, you know, none of the other uh, teams in this division are really running away with things right now. And, you know, if they can make up some ground, you know, they'll, we'll, we'll have a much better idea of kind of what the Reds are going to do at the trade deadline coming up. Um, you know, I, I'm hoping that, you know, when they finish this stretch against other NL Central teams, um, we'll have a better idea of that. Yeah, I think you're right. And, you know, we're fresh off a a month of June where not a single team in the National League had a record over 500. And, you know, it's it's one of those circumstances where you look up right now where the way these teams are currently constituted, and there's not really a whole lot of difference in all of them. You know, it's not like one team's completely outperforming what they should be and one team's thoroughly unperforming what they should be. Uh, You know, even some of the better teams in this division, like the Brewers and like the Cubs, have some pretty obvious flaws. You know, the the Cubs have been dealing with bullpen issues left and right. Um, The Brewers have been facing some starting rotation woes. Uh, Christian Yelich, for as hot as he was, has been slumping the last week. Uh, Travis Shaw, my my preseason dumb prediction for National League MVP, uh, has been completely non-existent so far this season, as has Jesus Aguilar after his brilliant 2018 season. Uh, and then the Reds, of course, you know, they've had an inconsistent offense despite the fact that their their pitching has generally been pretty good. So um, it's it's interesting to see not just that these teams are going head-to-head against one another uh, at this juncture of the season and obviously through the month of July, uh, but it's also going to be interesting to see what these teams choose to do at the trade deadline because um, as tightly packed as this division is, you almost think that if anybody goes out there and decides to be a big-time buyer uh, at this trade deadline, maybe that's the move that shakes up this entire division because things are so tightly packed uh grimy what do you think man yeah i think it's pretty interesting and it's hard for me to tell if i think we i I think we probably all expected the top of the nl central to be a little stronger whether it be the brewers the cubs or both but on the other hand i think it's the reason that the records i think are probably so stacked up is because each of the five teams are legitimately at least fine. You know what I mean? Uh, like the, uh, the reds, you know, obviously in last place, but they have to be one of the better last place teams, last place in the division teams, not just this year, but for a long time, you know, no, um, that, that yeah. plus 39 run differential when the brewers are minus four right now. Yeah. yeah they, they have the best record of any last place team in baseball right now. Yeah. So, um, I think it's interesting and, I think that a lot, you know, it's a byproduct of, I think the division 
maybe from at the top not being quite as strong as we thought it would, but I think it's because all five teams are legitimately okay and they're beating the crap out of each other. Um, I mean, I think that's keeping it tight. When the Reds win three straight series over the Cubs, who are supposed to be at least somewhat of kind of a mini – Sorry to, sorry to interrupt, but if my feed's ahead of your rolls, put your eyes on the TV real quick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's Anthony Suarez going deep nice. again. Oh, big two-run home runs. The Reds are up 3-1 in the six now, backing a great Tyler Malley start. So, uh, Sorry, Grammy, back to you. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. No, I, I, my point's basically just to say that I think the division's pretty good. Like, I think people look at the record now and be like, oh, I thought this was supposed to be the best division in the league. Well, I think it could be. I think it, they're all just beating the crap out of each other right now. Yeah, there's 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 no 2017 Reds in this le- division. There's no 2019 Orioles in this division. It's it's a bunch of teams that are well positioned to win this year. Um, and that's something that kind of begs the question, which is, you know, uh, thinking about the Reds as buyers at what the uh, the 39 and 40 or 38 and 43 or whatever it is they are mm-hmm. uh, at the moment. Um, they're five and a half back. The four games back in the loss column for both teams that are tied for first place. Uh, they're four and a half games out of the second wild card right now. And for a team that, yes, is running a record payroll this year, uh, they've got 60 to $65 million coming off their books at the end of the season uh, from players that are set to be free agents. So uh, even from an addition perspective, they can go out and add a huge salary uh, for a player that's controlled beyond this season, uh, and it doesn't really change the plans of what they've got next year, which is a team that, as things are currently constituted, uh, you know, rough uh, um arbitration estimates um if they let everybody go they've only got about 75 or 80 million dollars worth of committed payroll beyond this year if they bring all of their arbitration eligible players back so they've got the ability to go out and be aggressive this particular uh trade season if they're within striking distance and they can identify a specific need so um i i guess uh, with that in mind, we can go back to a report that came out about a week ago from John Morosi of uh, MLB Network and FoxSports.com, um, which basically said the Reds front office was interested in adding a controllable hitter at the deadline if they could find a piece that kind of fit. Um, what are your thoughts on that as, uh, you know, kind of in the context of the Reds for this year, uh, where that position could be, who those players might be, and whether or not the Reds could do a little bit of buying and selling at this trade deadline because they've got that much flexibility in moving parts. Um, Grimey, what do you think? Yeah, so I started looking at this just a little bit earlier, and um, <clears throat> so – and. I, I'm not necessarily looking at these pieces of based on how they fit, quote unquote, but I was kind of just looking through the fan graphs, you know, leaderboard of uh, some guys uh, 28 or younger, I think is what I put in there. I was just kind of scrolling through the names. Obviously the fit has to be there with the team that, you know, they're trading with, like they're not going to trade with, you know, the Red Sox for Andrew Benintendi or something like that. You know, so I was kind of filtering out some of the, you know, some of the bad teams that might obviously be selling. And um, I, I came across a couple of names uh, you had mentioned in your piece back, you know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Whit Merrifield, which I think he's a little older. Um, he's 30. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that, which is kind of strange because he doesn't seem like he should be that old. Late, but, late, late, late glimmer, yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, I got to look at his numbers, and especially 
especially this year. And of course, you know, the ball's juice and everything, but he's basically putting up a season in these first 382 plate appearances this year. That is essentially what we'd want from Nick Senzel. I mean, he's right. got, he's right. got a 301, 351, 497 uh, triple slash. And that seems about right to expect. I mean, I don't know if we should expect it from Nick Senzel because that's a lot, but um, that's a pretty damn good slash. Um, and, and he's a player who's showing more and more uh, positional versatility this year too. You know, I, I kind of classically thought of him as a second baseman, uh, but he's been in a lot of time in, in the corner outfield spots so far this year too. So, you know, that from a uh, from a comparisons perspective, that's that's exactly what the Reds have been doing with Nick Senzel. Um, but it also is the kind of player where you think about you can add him this year while you've got that roster glut. But he's controllable beyond this season. So once you choose to let, whether it's Yasiel Puig or Scooter Jeanette or both of them go, you can find a spot for him on the defensive side of the uh, the, the lineup every single day uh, to get him in there both this year and next year. It's almost like he's a, a slightly better version uh, of what they found in Derek Dietrich and controlled cheaply beyond that. Right. Yeah, and that's the other thing is, is even if you – I mean, I think we'd have a lot of fans that would balk about the age, but – he's making like Tucker Barnhart money. Like he's signed, yeah. for, he's signed for four years and 16.25 million with a team option. So, you know, even if he tanks, you know, hopefully not next year if they're trading anything for him, but if he tanks toward the end of that, contract, <coughs> you're not paying really. You're not stuck with it. something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Man, I think that's, that's important to know because he's obviously he's on the Kansas City Royals who are, what, 27, 35, whatever games under 500 right now. Um, you know, when you talk about the Reds are willing to add a controllable hitter at the deadline, duh. Like every, every team out there is willing to add a controllable hitter at the deadline, win or lose this year because obviously you're buying a piece for the present and the future. Um, those are the most prized assets in baseball. You know, those along with controllable – but already established starting pitching that, that, that those are the two biggest pieces out there. And there's not a team in baseball that's not interested in adding those except, except perhaps the Miami Marlins who have just made a <laughs> habit of just giving all of theirs away for nothing. Um, right. So, you know, when, when you look up and try to identify and you mentioned, you know, the, the Red Sox aren't trading in, you've been uh, That's kind of the key point in all this is that you can't just look at a team and have a player that's good and say, I want, I, I want him. He good. Um, it's surely going to be a team that's out of the race this year that's looking for a extended rebuild and is willing to cash in on some of their better pieces if they can get a massive haul. So these are all players and pieces that are going to take a big, big kind of move to uh, to be made. And you don't often see those uh, uh, happen at, at a, uh, a midseason trade deadline. But obviously this year it's just the one deadline. It's only July, so teams don't have until the end of August to decide whether or not they're going to, you know, go for it or not. They've got to make that decision earlier this year. Uh, so it'll be very, very interesting just on uh, an entire transaction level to see what kind of players are actually moved this year because modern baseball has never had a trade deadline stack up like this before. And so, um, you know, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see which teams commit to selling and whether or not they do so and whether that's to their benefit more this year than in previous years. But uh, uh, BK, what do you think, man? Yeah, I mean, one more uh, point on Merrifield. And a guy that he kind of reminds me of is actually another guy that the Royals traded away a couple of years ago in Ben Zobrist. You know, a yeah. guy who can play all around the diamond. And, uh, you know, the Cubs gave up a pretty pretty solid haul to, to pick him up. But 
And, and, you know, also another guy who was kind of a late bloomer, didn't really start hitting until he turned, you know, 28, 29. And, you know, that he ended up being a a huge piece of of the Cubs World Series winning team. So, you know, when it, you I, I think any contending team could use a guy like that, especially somebody with uh, with a pretty friendly contract. And so I think that he, he's probably a good candidate to be picked up by somebody, uh, even if it's not the Reds. So I, I think that's a that's a pretty astute um, that's a pretty astute pickup. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Um, then there's also the kind of the category of uh, uh, almost like the uh, what is a. Uh, what does Fangrass call them? The post-hype sleepers, uh, I believe. Uh, former top prospects that have reached age 24, 25, or whatever, and just for whatever reason haven't quite had the, the opportunity or have faced injuries or have been blocked at the big league level. Um, guys a lot like what we saw Jesse Winker be last year, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Guys who you know obviously had the great pedigree, but for some reason or another, whether it was injuries or lack of performance or you know stalling out at AAA or being blocked, you look up and realize, oh, this guy's still got rookie uh, status, but he's turning 25 this year. Okay. Um, guys like Clint Frazier uh, uh, yeah. of the New York Yankees right now, who is blocked all up and down uh, – uh, that current roster right now in the outfield with the likes of Aaron Judge and Aaron Hicks and Giancarlo Stanton and, uh, God, who else? Brett Gardner. And um, uh, I'm probably forgetting a couple guys as well. Anyway, he's 24, 25 years old and uh, a legitimate potential offensive stud uh, who came over from the Cleveland Indian organization a couple of years ago. Uh, but just, you know, in his short time has hit well at the big league level as everybody expected him to do, um, but doesn't really have a place. Right. And obviously he's not the kind of guy that you can get by flipping Tanner Rourke at the deadline. Uh, you know, the, the Yankees are a savvy enough organization uh, and obviously have the resources to be able to strong arm whoever the hell they really want. Uh, but they're not going to give up a guy like Clint Frazier for a rental. So no, uh, no they it, won't. They absolutely won't. But the Reds are in a, a unique situation for them for this year that adding Tanner Roark as a sweetener is absolutely something that could move the needle. No, one hundred percent. One hundred percent. What they could also get from other teams, I guess. One hundred percent. Yeah, no, no, that, that's that's totally, totally the case. And obviously, if you're gonna, if you're asking a team to give up five, six controllable years of a player like that, a what you're talking about for this season is you're only adding five hundred and seventy thousand dollars in league minimum salary. So it's a, a you know it's a completely payroll neutral move for year one, uh, and even for years two and three on a, a player like a, a Frazier scenario. Um, but it also means that you're probably going to have to give up somebody else who's got control too, because uh, unless you're trading a, a you know a peak or oldest Chapman, which the Reds obviously didn't do, um, you're not going to get that kind of piece back in return. So I guess what it, what the question becomes is uh, if the Reds are willing to add a controllable bat this particular trade deadline. What are they willing to give up to get that? You know, is it a trading a piece off of their big league roster like? I don't know, Rysel Iglesias, or is it 
meaning they were willing to trade a top prospect like Taylor Trammell because that's what it would take to get a player who's a little bit further advanced and more established than a guy like what you hope Taylor Trammell turns into um, because that's kind of what it's going to take and whether or not they can use some of their um, uh, their rental pieces as sweeteners is certainly uh, something that I think they're in a better position to do than any other team in baseball. Um, but it also means that they're, they've got to be willing to sacrifice one of their other really good assets because streams just don't give away players that have three to four years of cheap control. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's just interesting that I think it goes back to what we were kind of talking about to open the segment or whatever you want to call it, um, that they're in a unique position to both buy and sell because mm-hmm. they could they could add Tanner Roark or you know, if, if this guy's yeah. even – still with us uh alex wood if they if somebody thought that that guy was going to come back and actually pitch this season or you know hey you guys want you, know, you want yasiel puig like here you go you know what i mean like without ha- and then and then also maybe give up somebody like I, I don't know like jonathan india if it was a if it was a piece worth giving up somebody of that particular prospect status who's, who's a player who's a player that, that the reds were reportedly willing to part with in a deal for a controllable player this past winter right. in JT Real Mudo, who they didn't end up ultimately landing, but, oh, uh, but you know, they, Oh God, have been there. <laughs> oh, but, uh, but point being, he's a player that, you know, at least if, if speculation is to be believed and sources are to be believed, uh, was a top prospect. The Reds were willing to consider giving up. Um, I, I think that's a, that's a, now that I think about it, kind of an important segue in two parts. A, uh, that was a deal for the catcher position the Reds pursued this past offseason and couldn't quite complete. Um, but also, uh, Jonathan Eddy was uh, reportedly supposed to be able to maybe have a chance to play shortstop down the road. Uh, and that's a position that he's not played at all this year. Um, but shortstop and catcher do kind of seem like the two spots right now on this Reds current roster and down the road that don't really have a whole lot of obvious answers. Um, you know, obviously at catcher, they've got Kirk Sally, they've got Tucker Barnhart, they've got them cheaply controlled for the next couple of years. Um, but that's not exactly a, I mean, they're fine. They're, there's nothing wrong with them. They're not the problem with the team, but when it terms, to, uh, in terms of looking for an upgrade, it, they're, they're not going to block a guy like, JT Real Muto. They're not going to block a star catcher. Uh, if the Reds want to go sign Yasmani Grandal for $80 million this offseason, he's not in a timeshare. He's playing 120 games a year at catcher. So uh, that's certainly a spot where they could choose to upgrade. Um, but shortstop is kind of the other one there, too. Um, you know, Nick Senzel has, has pretty much said uh, with his play that he's capable of being a center fielder. And I think the Reds are probably going to ride that for a while, which means uh, the idea of him being second baseman who could play shortstop is probably out the window for the time being. Um, Jose Peraz has taken a major step back offensively this year. Um, it hasn't really even played shortstop hardly at all because Jose Iglesias, who was brought in as a minor league free agent, has pretty much taken the shortstop job and run with it. Um, but behind those guys, there's, there's not really a whole lot there. You've got Alfredo Rodriguez as a 25-year-old reported great glove guy in Double A, who still can't hit his weight. Uh, Blake Trahan is apparently kind of the same thing going on in Louisville as well. Um, if the Reds were gonna swing big, it almost seems like catcher or shortstop would be the spot that they would go with. Um, 
And obviously that leads like, you know, to wild speculation because those are two of the most rare positions for great players to be. Uh, and if there are ones that are great players and controllable out there, it's like, oh, well, that's 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 your dream trade scenario. So, um, you know, for, for me personally, when I read that, I had the initial reaction of um, how bad does Cleveland have to get quickly before they put Francisco Lindor on the market? Um, I got to see how long it took. 25 minutes. It took you 25 minutes to get to uh, Frankie Lindor. So, you know, I mean, we'll <laughs> – well, point 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 B. I mean, I mean, we talk about the Cleveland the Cleveland franchise is uh, obviously underperforming this year. The starting pitching they've been leaning on for the last couple seasons has either been injured or faltered so far this year. They're trailing the Minnesota Twins in the standings, um, and they did so on the the uh, heels of a winter where they traded away basically a lot of the really good players and let them walk. Uh, just to shed salary because they said they were, that, that basically they can't maintain that kind, that level of salary. Uh, and their owner even mentioned that when it comes to fans' uh, uh, appreciation of Francisco Lindor, he said, in other words, enjoy him now while you have him because we're not signing him long term. Um, he's got two years of team control after this season. So if the Reds were willing to make a move to both impact this year and to impact – two years down the road, uh, they've got the payroll space to be able to absorb a player like that. The question becomes, uh, do they have a farm system that they can empty out to bring in a guy like that? Because obviously he's one of the absolute most elite players on the planet, but I guarantee you Cleveland is going to be trading him at some point in the next two years. Right. That And that probably takes, you know, Jonathan India in the equation and probably another big, you know, one or Hunter two Green guys. or Taylor Trammell, if not both. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it, it really kind of depends on what kind of a splash the Reds are, are looking to make. And if they, if they, you know, they've, they've definitely done a good job over the last couple of seasons of really building that farm system back up and, you know, getting things back to a point where, you know, they have the assets to pull off something like that, but, you know, it's, they they seem to just kind of be an organization in general that seems averse to a big deal like this, you know. And I I would love to be proven wrong about this uh, particular deal, but it it just seems like the kind of thing where you know they they would bring that to uh, Bob Castellini's office and he would uh, laugh him out the door. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, just just given how things have gone in the past. I mean, I think it's interesting. Just I'm kind of just doing the lineup in my head. <clears throat> if you were to give up, no, like, not anything of substance on the major league lo- roster right now, as far as like the position players go, and you were to give up, because it's going to take basically everything of value that you have to get somebody like Francisco Lindor. So even if you were to give up Taylor Trammell, Hunter Green, Jonathan India, and then maybe somebody like. I don't. I don't know. I mean, the, uh, Rysel Iglesias maybe, and, and maybe it doesn't take those three and that guy. But you know what I'm trying to say, right? So, um, and then, so but you see a lineup for the next at least the next two years of in the outfield. You have Jesse Winker, Nick Senzel. Uh, right field would be troublesome, but um, <laughs> but all, but again, all that money coming off the books after this year, you know, oh, you're adding right. Frank, you're adding Lindor at, at 20 million or whatever, um, but you've got the space to go out and get somebody else and still have a payroll lower than this year, you yeah. know? Right. Yeah. And then, so you have, you know, Eugenio Suarez, Lindor, obviously, 
uh, Dietrich for at least next year at, at uh, second base. Votto, and at that point, you can hide the catcher because it's really going to be <laughs> the only spot that you have. I mean, you know, Tucker and Caselli in that spot would be fine, batting eighth, whatever, right? Um, with the Assuming they don't have to give up a major league pitcher that they've got in their rotation right now, whether that be somebody like Mally or, or whatever, uh, that's a pretty decent two-year window. I mean, we're seeing the offense – well, we're seeing a lot of the guys in the offense kind of come around at this point. Uh, Jesse Winker just hit a home run today, obviously. Uh, you know, Yasiel Puig's been Yasiel Puig for the last two months. And then that's kind of the my, my other point of that was maybe right field gets kind of iffy. But in that particular scenario, maybe you run it back with Yasiel for two, like three or four years. Yeah. Or even, you know, you have Philip Irvin, maybe give Philip Irvin a chance out there and – God forbid Scott Shevler might get back to being a half decent <laughs> platoon guy out there. You know, uh, you know, it's 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 one of those things where you know who, who knows that 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 becomes you know I, I think figuring out who your, your weakest outfielder is going to be uh, because you landed a superstar shortstop right. uh, that 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 that's a problem that I think any team would be willing to. To, to deal with, you know, yeah, I'm just, yeah, I'm just saying that's a pretty good two year window. I mean, that was basically my, my only point there was like just doing that math in my head, even if they're giving up their entire farm at that point, that's, right. that's a pretty good two year lineup to have to, to run out, you know, and, uh, and who knows? You're adding somebody like Lindor, who's better than anybody they have on their roster right now by and, 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 Porter. <laughs> and, 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 and who knows Jose Peraza might end up being the player he was last year more than the player he is this year right. and if that's your your kind of rotate around the outfield guy that's not a bad problem to have either so um, no it's, it's certainly gonna be interesting because you know obviously the idea of cashing in on players who are about to be free agents is something we've grown so accustomed to with these Reds because they're a generally a small market, low payroll team that looks to make every last fringe move that they can make to save money and also stock their farm system. And also they've been in, in last place for so long I can barely remember. So the obvious decision is, yes, you trade whoever you can get, you know, give away. Uh, but the thing is the Reds could also just they – could, they could do both this year. And I think if anything, the coolest part about this is is that – the writing's been on the wall for what the Reds' transactions were going to be at the trade deadline every single year for the last five years since they embarked on this deep, dark rebuild. This year, I don't think there's another franchise out there whose general manager would go on record saying this is what the Reds are going to do because I don't think anybody knows what the Reds are going to do. You know, I mean, do they? I don't think the Reds know they, what the Reds are going to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, they've got like literally 25 games is going to decide their entire two to three year window MO, you know, yeah. uh, like do they, if they, if they go on a, a nine game losing streak, do Derek Dietrich and Jose Iglesias go from being the, 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 the stud minor league findings of the winner to the biggest pieces traded, you know, uh, does Yasiel Puig get traded because he's been on a hot streak or do they keep him because they don't think they can get enough value for him? Um, you know, do, do they cash in on Tanner Rourke because Alex Wood's back and healthy, is Alex Wood ever going to get back in healthy? Um, you know, all of that. It's there's so many variables going around what the Reds could and should do. Uh, the fact remains, I think all what they what, what I took that rumor and that quote to mean, I think was uh, the Reds are obviously still. I don't want to say rebuilding, 
but they're still intent on building. And if they can get a piece for 2020, 2021, 2022, they're shopping for that now, and they will be shopping for that again this winter. Uh, I think that kind of serves almost as an independent thought from who do we trade at the deadline and who do we cash in on and who do we keep and hold if we want to try to maybe get a chance to win 86 games and see where that puts us in the wild card going forward. So uh, I agree. I think they can be buyers and sellers um, and still rightfully not have any idea how that's going to shake out right now, because uh, I'm not sure there's going to be a team out there that fields more calls at the trade deadline uh, than these Reds, because they've got the ability to be buyers and sellers with so many different positions um, that they're going to have their, you know, they're going to have 35 lines in the water for the next month. And um, frankly, as somebody who, who enjoys roster building uh, as the part of the, the baseball writing landscape, um, I think we're going to have a busy month because there's going to be a lot to digest in this, you know? Yeah. Well, and especially with the uh, lack of the second trade deadline, you know, there's, it, I think that we're going to see a lot yeah. more activity. Just as you said before, just with, you know, there's there's no option on July 31st to oh well let's see how August goes. Nope, it's July 31st or nothing. So all of these teams are going to be getting their their business done. I think it'll look a lot more like the NBA uh, trade deadline and yeah, just like yeah. we saw with their the uh, free agency opening of the NBA the other day. Oh, um, that's kind fantastic. of a mad dash. I'm, I'm at least I'm hoping that's what happens. This year. Well, I will, you know, I'm just going to just dump a big old bucket of cold water on this entire conversation. <laughs> um, I, I do want to remind you guys just real quickly that um, Matt Harvey made one, two, three, four, five starts for the Cincinnati Reds in, in September of 2018. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> True. He was, I mean, and we, we said uh, on this very website that, uh, they have to get rid of Matt Harvey, and then they didn't get rid of Matt Harvey, and they yep. have nothing to show for it now. That's one year after they didn't get rid of Zach Cozart as well. Yep. Um, and three years running had that, that they haven't gotten rid of Scooter Jeanette. So uh, yeah. Oh, and David Hernandez just walked in a um, walked in a run with the bases loaded. So that three one that three one lead that was great after Eugenio uh, Suarez hit that home run is no way four three Reds deficit which is quite unfortunate and a bummer for uh, Tyler Malley, who pitched quite well tonight, I thought. Um, I, yeah. I don't know that we need to spend a lot of time talking about it, but how uh, bad has David Hernandez been this year? It, 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 it's it's Compared to how brilliant he was last year, it's almost one of those things where I feel like how good he was last year makes it stand out that much more how, how lack of consistency he's shown so far this year, if that makes any sense, because yeah. – uh, he was so damn good last year. He and Jared Hughes both. Um, both guys who the Reds could, in theory, trade at the trade deadline while also still trying to win games down the stretch. Uh, although at this point, I'm not sure what the heck they can expect to get from him because that, that does not look good in hindsight. Yeah. So. yeah, I think David Hernandez is cruising more for a designated for a side. <laughs> yeah. Right now, uh, I mean, it's he's been really bad. and I mean, Jared Hughes has been not as good, and I actually wrote about this before the season. There was no basically no reasonable expectation for Jared Hughes to expect Jared Hughes to be as good this season as he was last season. Um, and I dove into that a little bit because he never had been before. And he's what, like 35 years old or whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or 30, yeah so he's, I don't think he's that old, but I'm just saying like there was no reasonable expect, expectation for that. And he's been fine. I mean, 
I think this is more of what we should have expected last year. But Fernandez, I'm looking at it right now. I mean, this is before tonight. He's got a 4.79 ERA, which that's not good. He that's, hasn't that's had good. an ERA that high since he was a starter back right. in 2009. So and and he's been pitching high leverage situations too. It's not like he's that guy that, that's the mop up guy in the fifth inning right. who's getting shot. Well, I mean, right? He's in this game instead of you know Amir Garrett. Who's obviously Robert Stevenson? Yeah. yeah, he's 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 in there to be the guy, yeah. and he's getting shelled. Yeah, well, not even getting shelled. He can't find the strike zone. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's unfortunate. So hey, perhaps <laughs> maybe maybe it's the bullpen. Who's who's the big bullpen arm out there <laughs> on, uh, on the on the trade block? Maybe that's where the Reds turn to. <laughs> and they, just get everybody. Yeah, I mean, we, we talk about trying to, to trade guys like Hernandez, but we saw with Zach Duke today, 36-year-old making $2 bucks. The Reds just – oh, yeah, there's another two runs. Um, oh, we, saw, we, we saw with Zach Duke today, uh, the Reds were willing to eat $2 bucks and, and let a 36-year-old reliever go. Maybe they do that with Hernandez. Maybe they just, they, they just let him go. Uh, and they go out and try to find somebody who's a, uh, a near-term and long-term replacement. And that's something that obviously they're going to need for next year also. Uh, why not start the shopping process a little bit early? And, um, yeah, after uh, after watching this go to complete crap, um, maybe that's exactly what I need to start planning on writing about. Um, <laughs> um, well, this anywho. Is, I mean, it's starting to become a thing, though, right? Because they basically – blew it against the Cubs in the second game. They tried to blow it in the first game. I think only they gave up one run, but it was kind of weird after a really good Sunny Gray start. The bullpen gave up some runs, and they were fine. And then they almost tried to blow that last game, too, against the Cubs. Right. I mean, if it wasn't for, like, the four or five runs that they scored in the eighth inning or whatever. The eighth inning, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the bull- becoming a thing now. <laughs> no, the, the the bullpen has become you know obviously with 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 David Bell's willingness to to uh, to explore using guys in multiple roles and use it more by leverage than innings. Uh, we've seen guys get moved around and used in, in ways that uh, don't exactly fit the mold of being customary. Um, but we've also seen them struggle. A lot with that, you know, we've seen Russell Iglesias, uh, the the home run issues that, that dogged him last year, uh, are back, and they're back in full force this season as well. Um, despite the fact that he's got one of the best arsenals of pitches uh, of any pitcher in baseball, you factor in Jared Hughes sputtering a little bit, David Hernandez sputtering a little bit, um, Zach Duke obviously getting cut, and the Reds being willing to go from at one point three lefties down to one. Uh, Cody Reed being hurt. Uh, they don't really have a whole lot of guys they can turn to at this point, uh, which is why you saw Jimmy Hurriet get called up today after the Duke DFA because uh, there's not an obvious stud down there to kind of come up. This is a 25-year-old guy who's pitched pretty good throughout his minor league career but isn't exactly a top prospect they're bringing up to kind of slot into the bullpen. Uh, he's a let's hope he can be a decent reliever in low-leverage situations kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if anything, for as good as the pitching has been this year – on the whole, and for as good as it's been relative to what the hell we've seen from the Reds pitching the last four or five years, uh, you could never have too much of it. And I think we're kind of seeing in this stretch exactly how valuable uh, lockdown relievers really are and, and that the Reds don't have as many of them as we thought they might over the last few seasons. 
And this is coming from a this is coming from a guy that thought Jimmy Herget was going to be a pretty decent reliever as little as like this time last year. But do you want to take a guess on what his uh, walks per nine has been in Louisville this year? Five point eight. Five point seven. Five point seven. I wrote a, I, I wrote about it like an hour and a half ago. I should have had that memorized. Uh, um, yeah. So not great. Not great. But but I I did I did at least give him the credit uh, of noting that he allowed eight earned runs over a three appearance stretch in late April and has pitched a lot lot better since then and the walks have been down significantly since then too so uh, not to the, not not to make this the uh, the the poop on Jimmy Herget uh, podcast. Um, I do yeah, think no, kid, I like Jimmy Hergen. I think, yeah. uh, like you said, in a low lever- in low leverage situations, at least starting out, like I thought he would be a pretty good l- reliever. Um, I'm kind of surprised they haven't had to turn to him yet, honestly. But um, I think but he, 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 he doesn't look the part of like the next closer, though. He's not he's not that automatic no. lockdown arm that they're calling up. So yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he's a hope he can slot in somewhere in that rotation, uh, which which obviously Davis Bell, David Bell wants to carry an eight man bullpen every single game. So hopefully he can be f- a serviceable part. We need to find Dylan Floro. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Always, always need to find Dylan Floro. Uh, well, cool. Well, um, with that, maybe we call a wrap on episode seven of this Red Reporter podcast since uh, the recap I got started about an hour and a half ago has a lot of updating to do and a lot of not good <laughs> David Hernandez news to to add into it as Lorenzo Kane just uh, – no, he missed it. I just pulled a Tom there just – Oh, it's a high fly ball to shallow center field. Um, let's uh, let's hope that that's the only time that uh, you pulled it. Out. Yeah, for God's sakes, man! What a foot and mouth moment for him yesterday. That was just stupid, awful, and insensitive as all hell. So and apparently, I I missed it, but apparently he non apologized earlier today. So or earlier in the game today. So I'm sure, uh, sure you can find that on Twitter.com. I, I've generally speaking for the last two plus years, when I turn on the broadcast and I hear his voice, it goes to mute immediately. So I've actually not really listened to a word he said for the longest time. And obviously I had to get caught up yesterday on, um, on everything he said regarding Addison Russell and, and, and being kind of just indignant about the whole freaking thing. Um, but I missed the apology again today also because I, again, had him muted. Yeah. So, yeah, I haven't uh, heard it. I just saw some people commenting on Twitter and it seemed very much like a Tom apology. That sounds about right. And probably to be expected. And it's unfortunate that the Reds have not made a larger effort to, uh, make that a more pertinent, um, point out moment. Um, cause I feel like they certainly should, cause that was not anything that should have been just, Set in passing and mm-hmm. let walk away from. So, yeah. Yep. 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 So, all right. Well, Red Reporter Podcast, Episode 7, July 1st, 2019. Um, for BK, for Grimy, uh, thank you for joining us on this particular shot. Uh, we've got, uh, let's see, you can follow us on Twitter at Red Reporter. You can find us at redreporter.com where you will find the link to this web or to this this website, to this podcast tomorrow. God, technology terms is killing me. Um, <laughs> anyway, you can read our stuff at redreporter.com. You can find us on Facebook at Red Reporter Fans. Um, yeah, and hopefully uh, the next uh, three, four weeks will feature some damn good baseball and 
hopefully some interesting moves to make this Reds team more relevant this year and in years beyond. Uh, what they're going to be, though, God, who knows, because they could go really anywhere. So uh, anyway, thanks, guys. Thank you for joining me. And uh, tune in, uh, I don't know, roughly a week or so from now as we uh, catch up on the latest news that have happened in the Cincinnati Reds world. And we will go from there. So for BK and Grammy, thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next time.